Welcome once again to Refresher, the Pop Culture Therapy Podcast. I am still Chris Levine, and I will be your host again this time around. Hey, I remember I once saw a billboard for the play Cats. I don't remember where I saw this, but it got me thinking, what if you're a dog person? Now, I love cats. I basically love all animals, but I would probably say I'm more of a dog person simply because I've never had a cat, but I've had dogs throughout my life. But upon seeing this cat's billboard, for some reason, the full-blown idea machine just started working inside my brain. Here's what I came up with. What if there was a play called Dogs and the actors were all actual dogs. Bear with me. <laughs> Here's what could happen. They could, in a theater, lower the house lights, start really good music, and then release 100 real dogs into the theater just to roam around and interact with the audience. While this was happening, maybe there could be some kind of a light show going on with a film showing footage of those particular dogs at play, maybe even including biographies of each dog interwoven into it for people to watch as they pet the cast or give the cast treats. Treats, by the way, that they could purchase upon entering. And they can even let the smaller members of the troupe lay on their laps. Now, and here's the best part. Stick with me here. Imagine if all of the dogs at each performance were rescues. And at the end of the night, audience members would have the option to take one or more of these cast members home. And all of the money from the treats, as well as from getting into the play itself, went to local animal shelters. So... Let me, let me share with you my marketing strategy on this, because I, I, I gave this a lot of thought. For the first week, I would suggest planting big, respected Hollywood stars, like, say, like a Tom Hanks or a Helen Mirren in the audience. And I would make absolutely sure that the media took the perfect pictures of them enjoying dogs, especially to give this legitimacy. But you know what else would happen is it would also give people the idea that they might perhaps run into a famous person there themselves. I could totally and completely imagine actors and actresses that are publicly associated with PETA being all over this. Musicians, too. I could easily see, say, Chrissy Hine being there. If this phenomenon caught on and the play lasted, let's just give it, say, 10 years, it could save and place thousands of homeless dogs into loving homes. What do you guys think? 
Good idea, bad idea, silly idea. Maybe it would work, maybe not. But it's an idea, which leads us into the concept of ideas as a whole, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about today on this particular episode. Do you have ideas that are crazy enough that they just might work? Well, let's start here. Where do they come from? Where do ideas originate from? Well, the website Creative Live tells us that creativity is innovation without constraints, but the constraints of scientific research does kind of help us understand exactly where creativity comes from. It notes that researchers are just beginning to peel back the layers of creative expression. However, understanding the science of creativity, along with the factors that encourage and discourage those new ideas, they can actually help creative types better understand their own creative processes. Another site called Science Netlinks tells us that at points in American history, when women and minorities were excluded from the formal scientific enterprise, they weren't allowed to be inventors, technically, or scientists. Quote, unquote, ordinary people stepped up from all walks of life and contributed to science and technology as massive inventors of products that we use every day. How does pop culture factor into all this? Well, it's kind of interesting to me. It seems like pop culture weighs in with the concept of the stereotypical crazy inventor, you know, like Doc Brown from Back to the Future, or, or like the absent-minded professor. Tony Stark is another one, Willy Wonka, <laughs> and of course, Dr. Frankenstein, crazy inventors. But you know, sometimes that apple doesn't fall too far from the actual tree. There were real inventors that lived up to that stereotype in real life, like Pythagoras, the Greek mathematician. He came up with the Pythagorean theorem, and that essentially states that the square, the square of a hypotenuse of a right triangle is equal to the sum of the square of the other two sides. A pretty smart dude, right? Well, <laughs> this same guy actually started his own religion that had the tenant, are you ready for this? That beans are evil. Yes, beans. Why? Well, he concluded that eating beans would basically be like cannibalism. And he forbade the people in his religion, in his commune, from eating them. Because to Pythagoras and his followers, beans just might contain the souls of the dead. So are inventors sometimes a little off? I think that's sometimes a fair statement. Is the old saying, though, that there's a fine line between genius and insanity true? Well, Psychology Today had a nice piece on this. I'm going to read some of it to you. It starts with a quote. It says, you're mad, bonkers, completely off your head, said Alice in Alice in Wonderland. But I'll tell you a secret. All the best people are. This notion that genius is 
only thinly separated from insanity, goes back at least to ancient Greece. Um, Aristotle linked the two. This is what he said. He said, there is no great genius without a touch of madness. Maybe a little closer to home in our day, Robin Williams was once quoted as having said that you're only given a little spot of madness. And if you lose that, you're nothing. So are geniuses any more likely to experience mental disorders than the general population? Well, in the course of the writer of the piece I've been reading here to you, uh, the writer's name was Craig Wright. In, in the course of his researching this over a 15-year period, he looked at the lives of approximately 100 people that are generally considered to be geniuses. At, at least a third of this group, here's some of the list, among them Michelangelo, Isaac Newton, Beethoven, Lincoln, Tesla, Van Gogh, uh, Wolf, Hemingway, Dickinson, Dickens, Churchill, Plath, and Picasso, just to name some. These all regularly display or displayed some form of affective disorder. Now, a third is a high number. It's compared to 5 to 10% of the general population. He then says that geniuses don't have a habit of being unbalanced, but they do have a proclivity to it. But of course, good ideas, we know they come from all kinds of people. There is a huge rabbit hole that you can enter when you ponder the world of where everything comes from. Little things that we use in our lives today. Let's just take a few examples uh, from NASA. Look what was invented over time. NASA gave us scratch-resistant glasses lenses, artificial limbs, wireless headsets, cell phone cameras, the, the mouse on our computer, and athletic shoes, just to name a few. Or what about what had initially been used to clean wallpaper in houses? You ever heard about this? Well, eventually, a relative of its inventor, who was a nursery school teacher, gave this substance that was used to clean soot off wallpaper in houses to children to play with. It caught on. So what they did is they removed the detergent that was inside it, replaced it with a color, renamed it Play-Doh, and that's how that came to be. Speaking of wallpaper, bubble wrap. Who doesn't love snapping bubble wrap, right? Bubble wrap was created to be a super cool three-dimensional plastic wallpaper, but it never caught on. So the inventors noted, well, you know, this material could be used for packaging, and there you go. An engineer named Percy Spencer, he had been testing radar equipment, and he noticed that an active radar melted a chocolate bar in his pocket. Then he saw an opportunity in this and put some corn onto the magnetron, and it immediately started to pop. Now we have microwave ovens in our homes. Uh, let's do one more. The concept of a three-course meal was actually invented by a Persian musician, poet, and teacher who lived in 9th century Andalusia. He insisted meals be served in the format of soup, followed by a main dish of meat or fish, and ending with a sweet dessert. 
how often do we adopt that now? So where does all this come from scientifically? Well, apparently the light bulb moments originate in the hippocampus as part of the, the, the medial temporal lobe subsystem of the default network, which supports the generation of creative ideas. You know, more proof that the same brain region that supports our ability to remember also supports our ability to imagine and to create. All right, guys, so I've got one more idea for you for the road. I'm going to leave you with just this one last thing. Now, this time, it's going to be geared toward my fellow vinyl collectors out there, and especially for those that are just getting into the concept of collecting vinyl records. My idea, hopefully, will help you to stay sane. I promise. Are you ready? Here's the big idea. Enjoy the chase as much as the catch. You got that? Let's explore this. Crate digging is so totally enjoyable for me and countless others. There is such a wonderful vibe just flipping through records, especially when one catches your attention and then actually becomes yours. But there are pitfalls. And out of the goodness of, of my heart, <laughs> I'm going to share my record hunting cautionary tales with you. First off, be prepared to see a lot of albums that you will not want to see and plan on seeing them hundreds of times. Case in point, if I had a nickel for every time I have seen the Barbara Streisand album with her in the Superman shirt, each time I've gone digging over the years, I would be rich beyond my wildest dreams. You will also become on a first name basis with Mitch Miller and will probably see visions of Barry Manilow wearing a shirt that says, I love beagles in your dreams off and on for the rest of your life. Are you mentally prepared for that? If so, you're on your way, sort of. You still have to prepare for the worst. How so? Records and their jackets oftentimes match worse than 1970s game show hosts and their jackets, especially at yard sales or garage sales. Because of this, write this down. Always, I repeat, always check to make sure the record inside the sleeve matches the sleeve. There is something so wrong about proudly buying a copy of a mint condition cover of the freewheeling Bob Dylan only to get home and find out that the actual record inside is the best of bread. You feel so violated. Don't let this happen to you. Also, make sure the record is in decent shape. I once saw a copy of the Elvis 68 comeback special in a bin for a dollar and I flipped out. Long story short, I got it home and there was literally <laughs> three-fourths of a record inside. It looked like a Dalmatian sunk its teeth into that vinyl or something. That was a bad scene right there. Something else, at least these days, is that it has become cool again to buy vinyl, which in theory, that's a great thing, but it also sometimes means that you really have to dig deep 
there will be a dual feeling of brotherhood and competition between you and that other person in the store digging just like you. This usually is tolerable, especially if you see that they're just kind of beginning to collect a copy of the dark side of the moon under their arm is an excellent sign that they're probably a newbie unless they're replacing theirs with a better one. If they're seasoned, however, it could mean a fight to the death. Think, think about it. Will you walk out with the Mothers of Invention record or will they? One of you will, while the other one will leave defeated, feeling like a record-collecting Jerry Cooney. This hurts, folks. And while the Haircut 100 album that you did get feels okay, the pain will still linger all day, possibly all week. So again, my big idea Here's my advice and what I suggest you bring as your mindset to the record store or to the garage sale. Some fishermen go fishing for the relaxing experience. If they catch a fish, it's a bonus. It's just the icing on the cake. My advice is to record shop the same way. You're not going to always catch the big one, but it'll always be fun. It'll always feel good just trying. We have once again arrived at the time on Refresher when we present you with a Spotify playlist to illuminate the topic of which we are speaking. We have for you this time around a Refresher podcast, Got Any Other Bright Ideas? playlist. You can find it really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher Podcast dash Got Any Other Bright Ideas? Let's do it. Track number one, some awesome 60s garage by the Shadows of Night with their song Light Bulb Blues. Number two, Thoughts and Words by the Birds off of their Younger Than Yesterday record. Number three is Ultravox with the song Brilliant. Number four, The Light Pours Out of Me by the post-punk band Magazine. Number five, Sun Ra and his Astro Infinity Orchestra with the super atmospheric track called Somebody Else's World, a.k.a. Somebody Else's Idea. Number six, Men Without Hats with Ideas for Walls. I interviewed their singer a long time ago. <laughs> And I asked him if there was anything that, that, that he wanted me to, to, to put out there for, for people. And he said, you can just tell people that they can still dance if they want to. How hot is that? Number seven, Remake Remodel by Roxy Music. I have rediscovered this band over the past few years, and I just cannot get enough of Roxy Music. Number eight, The Fall, with a very artistically driven song. The Man Whose Head Expanded. Number nine is Blueprint by Fugazi, the band that is basically the epitome of never selling out. They set the bar pretty high along those lines. And number 10, finally, The Black Keys with the song, My Mind is Rambling. That's our new playlist. Again, you can find this playlist really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher Podcast. Got any other bright ideas? We'd like to welcome some new listeners to our little show, our demographics report. 
now shows that we have listeners in Palm Desert, California. I know that place. Welcome to Refresher. We are so happy you're here. Guys, this show would simply not exist without you. If you could all do me a favor, please continue to pass this podcast along to your friends. Also, if you'd like to help keep this podcast stay up and running, if you would like, you could make a small monthly contribution. Just see the support this podcast link under the episode description. If you're so inclined, that would be great. It could be as little as 99 cents a month. But, but whether you do or whether you don't, don't worry about it. Just please feel free to listen and enjoy this show anytime. I always say it. I always mean it. It's yours. As always, the music that begins and ends this podcast is by the band Dive. The song is called A Day Late, and it was written by Mr. John Villafuerte. But until next time, this is Chris Levine for Refresher, the Pop Culture Therapy Podcast. Everyone, please take care, honestly, and do yourself a favor and remember that there's a big difference between worry and concern. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.